You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being here with us. On this edition of the podcast, RA's partnership with Black Minds Matter continues. Black Minds Matter is a charity on a mission to connect black individuals and families with free mental health services by professional black therapists. Every month in 2021, we'll celebrate a black-owned creative electronic music project by hearing their story on the podcast, on the site, and by offering some financial support. You can find the full details of RA's partnership with Black Minds Matter at ra.co forward slash about forward slash community. So let me fill you in on this month's episode. I am overjoyed to introduce your host for today, Vanessa Maria. Vanessa is an attentive and thoughtful journalist who recently made a documentary about the mental health of black students at universities. Vanessa is also a brilliant DJ, selecting everything from ballet funk to drill. Today, you'll hear her in conversation with Nate Abetu, a creative strategist and co-founder of Play Nice, which is a studio working to build intersections between communities. I've always been here for like DIY culture. It breeds success, I think, and uh, I live by the phrase like, make it, break it, iterate it. Since launching in 2019, Play Nice has aimed to co-create, facilitate and produce work that speaks to the human truths of real people on the front lines of society. Their latest film, The New Rave, celebrates how the black diaspora has shaped electronic music. In this conversation, you'll hear Nate and Vanessa speak about the power of intention, about music as an important light to complement social action and what community means to each of them. Hey, what's good? It's Vanessa Maria here, and I'm really excited to welcome you back to a special edition of RA Exchange in collaboration with Black Minds Matter. I'm a DJ, broadcaster, and digital marketeer at Sony for Black Butter Records. And I'm not alone today. I'm joined by the wonderful, the one and only Nate Abetu, who was born and raised in East London, and he co-founded Play Nice. Nate has been on a journey of his own to map out and craft brand experiences since the ripe old age of 16, when he started his own events enterprise to raise money for a charity project in Uganda. Since then, he's taken the creative industry by storm, working for some of the world's best, such as Nike, Wyden and Kennedy, AKQA, to name just a few, before starting his own venture at Play Nice. Nate, how are you doing today? I'm good, you know, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know what? There's a there's one question I asked all my guests, and that is, what made you smile? Today? I think our conversation has made me smile. Definitely just having a convo before we started this has been, it's had me laughing the whole way through. So yeah, yeah, I'm ready. What about you? Do you know what? I, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to say the conversation before and just feeling grateful to be talking to someone during lockdown. You know, it's been rough, but I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, decent Friday night, isn't it? It's all right. <laughs> yes, it is all right. <laughs> and you know what? Talking about Friday nights, 
And talking about playing, having fun. Talk to me <laughs> about your creative studio, Play Nice. What is it about and how did it get started? Yeah, so Play Nice is a creative studio developing kind of communications moments and just hearing the lived experiences of different people, like people doing things just differently, interestingly, and communities that speak to the values of kind of the New York world that we want to be a part of. Um, we've worked together in advertising, me and my co-founder Io. Um, we used to work at Widens together um, before I moved in-house at Nike and just gotten the chance to have conversations that people around us needed to have at that time. You know, I feel like um, we felt like a lot of the conversations we were having were through the lens of brands, um, but there were so many more important things that had to be said. Uh, more times people care when the message comes from someone in particular. Um, so in Play Nice, we thought, why can't we be like someone? Um, and we launched it in March 2019 when we were sick of like filtering our ideas through a particular lens um, and thought we could push it ourselves. And we started that journey with like the young people who were not being heard in the climate emergency um, to make a, I guess you could call it, just a project in general that kind of heroed the lived experiences of them and the messages they wanted to share with the world around the climate. I love that. And you recently launched a pattern, right? Yeah, that one is big. Congratulations on that. Like, I saw it across social media and... Um, it just looks so fantastic. Can you can you oh, tell us a little you. bit more about what it, what it actually is? Yeah, so like when we launched and we launched that um, project around the climate emergency with the UK Student Climate Network, we made like a little splash. Like it was the first project and it got into Beezy's Design of the Year. Like we were doing workshops with our local communities that felt like a lot realer to like, you know, than the work we were making and creating in other spaces. And there was just a need for it to go a bit further. Um, and we were chatting to like Coach Mile about doing like some programming around the prize that they had for the skills de development of the future. Um, um, but we clocked that we were kind of building that by thinking differently and doing things differently. And that gave us a chance to kind of bring voices like Jojo, the founder of No Signal, into the Barbican and Toby Curry, who's like carving out space in theatre and you know, people turned out for it. So we turned around and realized it was that time to just democratize that thinking and like create something new by making sure these spaces were for everyone. Um, and we just applied for the prize ourselves and it took like 18, almost 18 months in total to work on it from that beginning. Um, but yeah, it's just about a takeover of those spaces, the spaces that we see um, as the cultural industry. Because, um, you know, everyone's always talking about what's the culture, like, um, but why aren't they taking space up in the cultural industry? Like it, it was really puzzling. Um, it felt wrong. Um, and that's why the p pattern felt kind of right. Amazing. And I, when I was, the thing that really struck me when I was looking at the pattern is how intersectional your approach was to the project. Um, especially oh, like when you. it went about selecting the mentors as well. I know you have people representing um, the Muslim Sisterhood, Babes London and the UK uh, Climate Network. Like talk to me a little bit about that selection process and um, how intentional your thinking was in terms of intersectionality. Yeah, intersectionality is just like a massive part of the way we think. I think there's so many intersections to our identities. Like myself, I'm like, I look at myself as like, yeah, I'm a cisgendered man, but I'm also queer and black and masculine presenting and whatnot. And um, yeah, for us, it's just about, you know, how can you explore and engage with different identities and communities and people without being a voyeur? I think it's a big thing for us because, you know, you have to avoid that and work out how you create a real and like a raw value exchange with the communities that you work with like I used to work a lot um at Nike with some of their community leaders and one thing I learned from those experiences like just like the value of relationships 
um, they're so important because you just don't want to be like a splash in the water. You want to do something for a long time and for it to, you know, stick around. Um, so we chose people whose visions we admire, who we can chat to on DMs or on WhatsApp um, because we want to create something real and like quite natural. Because um, community at its core is like, you know, founded on shared values and the core beliefs. And we kind of share that with each of those mentors. So it made sense to work with them. Like... Um, their work amazes us and inspires us and um, will be written in the history book. So we just wanted to be a part of their journey. Um, and we've been following it for ages and chatting to them for ages and like, chatting to them about how we can bring this to life. So yeah, like big shout out to like Noga, Lavinia, Naeem and Lamisa. And um, yeah, anyone listening, if, if you don't know them, then you should definitely go and check them out and check their journeys as well. Um, the thing that I picked out as well with the organisations that you're working in, with is the the like link to music as well so you're working with Guildhall and the symphony orchestra um, mm. why why did you decide to, to select those people like the institutions yeah the institutions sorry yeah yeah like um they're just part of the partnering um um body that we're working with culture mile so it's like a cultural district across like moorgate and central um that does like a lot of creative learning um, programs and just general programming for um, those four institutions. So it's Barbican, Museum of London, Guildhall and London Symphony Orchestra. Um, and yeah, like I guess uh, London Symphony Orchestra and Guildhall are really interesting because they just work around music, you know, and like um, I guess for us, we just always want to just make cool stuff, like cool, meaningful stuff. Um, and throughout history, a lot of that comes from music, like from Fela Kuti to like NWA with their messages um, from writers like Neith Ekupodom um, with their words to like Stormzy with his protests and um, so music will always be a part of what we do like and a lot of what we want to do moving forward um, because it can show up and create change in so many meaningful ways and it's kind of already showing up in like what we're creating with the pattern as well like it's super exciting because like music's role in expression really like starts to blossom in these briefs that we've got coming out like Lamisa who's from Muslim Sisterhood has references in her brief to um, Ghazul which is like a Persian form of poetry and song that shares love for Allah and Lavinia's brief um, Lavinia if you don't know her is the founder of um, the Black Curriculum and her brief focuses on like how black music is created and connected to social change um, so yeah, music's going to play a big role in the pattern um, and it's going to be on the cohort's terms, on the people involved's terms in terms of what they create and it's a part of our journey moving forward a lot as well. I love that and I know that um, music has been a part of Play Nice previously as well. You re you launched a documentary called The New Rave mm. and <laughs> it was in collaboration with the Design Museum. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's just incredible. You were showcasing Black Pioneers in electronic dance music yeah 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 so it looks at the experiences of Mali or everyone knows her as Shai Wan um, just DJ producer beat maker um, all around genius like my favourite DJ ever um, Errol who runs Touching Bass which is just like a beautiful kind of like jazz and soul collective um, broken beat just the real like hearty music they're based in South um, Tash who plays like Global Club like you do uh, she's a DJ, presenter, and she runs a, a record label called um, Club Yeke. Um, and Tommy Gold, who's part of the Bone Soda family, and they're a collective and another creative studio as well. And they're just doing, like, mad bits. Like, they're doing crazy amounts of work. And I think 
for us, it was about, you know, when we spoke to the Design Museum, the exhibition was about electronic music. And I think so much of what we know electronic music to be these days is quite whitewashed and forgets the legacy of electronic music actually being born in different spaces like Detroit through techno um, and like Soul to Soul here in the UK, like pioneering an, a new form of electronic music that kind of like dipped in and out of house um, and soul music and kind of built a new subculture in the UK in terms of us not Americanizing our voices and stuff. So it, the film itself actually follows those four kind of creators around the, like in music and looks at their experiences um, through lockdown, um, of finding electronic music, finding themselves within electronic music, the power of dance and music, um, and kind of what they hope for the future going forward because, you know, everything just feels a bit murky right now while we're in lockdown. Definitely. And I feel like you hit on the nail as well because the thing that really struck out to me when I was watching the documentary was um, the the emphasis on the fact that this, this type of music is, is black music. It's part of black culture. Um, and everyone sort of picked up on the fact that it wasn't something that when they were growing up, maybe they associated with black people. But as mm. they learned more about techno house and its roots, mm. it became apparent. Um, and I love that. And I feel like I learned a lot watching the documentary. But what did you learn when you were actually directing it? Oh, that's, yeah, that one's a good one. That one almost threw me off before. But um, yeah, like, yeah, I think what I learned most from it as well as learning about the richest story, the richness of like everyone's stories, was like um, there's all more, there's always more work to be done than it seems. Um, like I've been trying to get into directing for a while. Like I've written my first screenplay, a couple of little bits to drop, um, but I'm lucky that this kind of came at the divine moment that it did, thanks to like Io and Laura at the Design Museum and the whole people, like the whole like squad that we had around us, like. Like I'm lucky I had like my flatmate Yasser Abubekar, who's like a sick producer and director to help me produce it and bring it together. Jamie Ackroyd, who's like a good friend and like the best DOP ever to kind of like guide me into making it like more cinematic and intimate. And just, yeah, Laura at Design Museum really let us like fly away with what we wanted to create. So it was amazing. Um, and, but yeah, the contributors were amazing as well. Like we had the most beautiful stories and experiences. And yeah, I guess I learned to document everything because of that like there were so many amazing stories so many different experiences i wish we could have recorded it all because like we only had this like one shoot day to record audio but there were just so many like rich gems from like conversations that we had in everyone's spaces and outside of the eight minutes that we kind of built that film into so it's taught me to definitely document everything and that, to always be aware of that there's more work and like you need to kind of seek advice from people and collaborate on your process however close it is to your heart um and yeah, like, I guess in like not being able to fit all the information in, we were lucky that we got to make a beautiful zine with the talented Aaron Skipper um, that kind of got a bit more of that information in there. But yeah, I, I definitely document a lot more. And um, yeah, I feel like my mind's jumping everywhere. Well, um, yeah, communication is key as well. I think what was mad about this one was that most, like, most directors will be in the room with the editor kind of like bringing it all together but this edit was done in isolation and i'm so thankful for um corey mckay who edited the film together because we had the most long conversations and tangents but like it made it such a sweet process um and like sometimes what you want to convey especially through like mediums like film like it's more of a feeling than like a transition or a single frame in the film 
Um, and it's important that you do the work of articulating that and learning to communicate that so that you can really bring something to life that you can see in your head. So that was another one I learned, definitely. I think when you talked about um, documentation, it really sprung to me because um, a lot of the time when you think about, when I think about documentation, I think about history um, and I think about like family history and some of the, the things that the the guests in the documentary, um, so Tash and Errol and um, Shy One and Tommy were talking about was um, seeing music when they were growing up and having that experience being exposed to music. Um, how 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 does music relate to you and your like own family history? Um, music is just it's in the family. It's actually kind of crazy. Like my mom and dad used to make street soul in the eighties and nineties. They had a mad um little period of being little rock stars. There's actually another article on Resident Advisor that someone sent to me a couple months ago. That's about my dad being like the godfather of street soul. Um, and my dad's just really blasé about it. He doesn't really talk about it too much. But um, yeah, like I'm I'm finding out a lot of their music in lockdown and really connecting to that a lot and growing up it was just Stevie Wonder, Fela Kuti and a lot of like neo soul growing up and just movement and dance from a super young age not to like forget the the tribal skanks and the migraine skanks from secondary <laughs> school and stuff like it's it's always been really instrumental to me and is the start of my creative process as well my my journey into the creative industry because yeah the first thing I ever did was start my own club night so I could go to Uganda to do a charity project um, and like yeah music and creating space for us to dance and to enjoy that and to like soak in everyone else's rhythms it's just it's like no other and so it always has been always will be and is a lot of like what playing nice is going to be moving forward as well so yeah love a bit of that <laughs> I love a bit of that but you love know what strikes <laughs> what really strikes yeah. me is that um, a lot of the things that you've done seem quite well, they are very organic. It's very DIY. It's do it yourself, um, mm. and you're part of that sort of scene, that scene. Like when I say scene, I mean like young people just doing it themselves. And um, mm. when when going back to the documentary, I know that you linked up with Keep Hush and their uh, merch service. And um, for me, that's a that's a space that is that sort of very much reflects the DIY scene in music. Um, mm. So how important? Bruh. Yeah, yeah no. no, I can relate. I can relate because Fred and Freddie, man, they're, they're some bad boy entrepreneurs, you know, like, I don't know. I've known them from since like 2015, 2016. Um, I used to have a streetwear brand called Lightwork with one of like, two of my friends um, in college. And Fred and Freddie asked us to come and like uh, have a little stool at their first event in Soho Square. So sick. Like they're mavericks, man. Like DIY is like in their blood. And I guess like yeah, merch service is amazing because it's just another example of that. Like that, they found another way in the middle of a pandemic to, pandemic to like bring music heads together in the world right now, where like you know we don't really know how we can, at least not in person, and in doing so and building another platform like they're supporting artists in like a super sustainable way. It's like mad magical, um, and yeah, I've always been here for like. DIY culture, it breeds success, I think. And uh, I live by the phrase like, make it, break it, iterate it. Um, Can you repeat that? We learning, need a, we need a reload learning. on that line. What, wheel it back? All right. Like, <laughs> um, what the phrase, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, the phrase is um, make it, break it, iterate it. That's that's my thing. You just got to live it. Just There's no way to learn other than by doing. Learn by doing. Like we're all gonna make mistakes, and I think yeah, we live in a world that's constantly online right now. But 
and you feel this need to get validation from others, but it's an iterative process. You always got to be trying to move and level up and be vulnerable to evil eye if you need to be, because otherwise, how are you going to make something that really supports the people that you want to support or serves them or, you know, actually functions probably beyond aesthetics? So I live for that, like, always learning. It's always growth, like, and, and being hungry for that, you know, like, literally just, just do it. Um, and like, yeah, think critically, I think, when you're trying to do something, be honest, and um, it's important to be the change you want to see, but, yeah, I know that sounds cliche, but that's, it's, you always have to just do it and just make sure that you do it with a good heart, I think, when you're trying to be DIY. Absolutely, and you talked about growth and learning and being hungry for for it. And I feel like what better way um, to think about the whole lockdown period than a moment to just stop and reflect on life and like think about learning and growing as a person and being introspective. And I know for myself, mm. like that point when things sort of slowed down and stopped, it was the first time when I kind of looked at myself and the things that were happening in my life and really putting things into perspective and thinking about what I wanted to prioritize and spend my time doing. And you mm. have managed to produce a lot of content <laughs> during these times of locked upness and feeling, feeling, Hello. you know, feeling like life is over. So how have you managed to do that? And how have you, you know, managed to stay so motivated during the last, you know, six, nine months or so? It's been mad, you know, like I, I can't lie, it's actually been mad. I think, you know, Tommy puts it the best in that documentary. He literally puts it in a nutshell. He's like, you know, there were days when I could get out of bed and moments where I just wanted to do nothing at all. Or, I don't know, I had moments as well where I just wanted to do it all. Um, but yeah, that was an emotional roller coaster. It's still an emotional roller coaster to a degree. Like, um, I don't know, like lockdown has been crazy because I don't know, in this period I've learned to like live with a lot, like loss, <laughs> um, heartbreak and like just living with covid racists at one point even like um but i think it's also just been about like learning to kind of like purge myself of the things that don't serve me a little bit and be an introvert like you were saying you know and you know to use all of that emotion and feeling to kind of feel the things i want to create um i think like for me personally i've learned that like I'm trying to express myself more through new mediums. It's the easiest way for me to like push out and do something different and to, to feel that um, I'm actually seeing in something outside of myself, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, like that's included just jumping over many things. Like there was film with the documentary, did a little bit of code. I've like even like played with some clay and made like candle holders and that. It's been mad interesting. Um, but there's still so much further to go, you know. I think it's just about using your time to do what you want to do, what you want to create and being sure of what that thing is, even if it is for the moment, even if it is just for right now, like just having a crystal clear vision of it and trying to execute it is important. I feel like emotions are heightened during this period as well. And you talked about loss and heartbreak and um, I relate to a lot of that. I relate to the heartbreak, do you know what I'm saying? I feel mm. like a lot of people have gone through mm. that especially during you know last year and 2020 and how it's been so how have you sort of maintained like good mental health during that period um yeah do you know what it has to be like just the little things I've been making that are away from my work as well like definitely making that candle holder or like 
don't know, going cycling, I cycle a lot and just eating. Like I'm, I'm out here getting thick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's me really. But yeah, that's that's kind of it. And I don't know, I think there are elements of the way that I look after myself that can be toxic, I can't lie, because I'm quite a workaholic. <laughs> like my work is my life and the people I engage with like always remind me of where I'm trying to go. And my mental finds peace in that. So as much as I work all the time, I know that I'm working on things that give me grounding and help me find and be a part of building the world that I want to see. Um, I need to slow down and I'm definitely open to finding some new hobbies. But yeah, <laughs> that's been me. I love that you cycle. Um, I think exercise is so important. I, I personally run 5K every morning if I can. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that's mad. I, like me and my asthmatic lungs could never do you know what it's just about habit and like making it a priority and then soon enough you'll miss a day and feel like oh my gosh i need to get on it do you know what i'm saying and it's mm. bringing it's like routine routine and structures are very very critical and i didn't realize how important it was until lockdown hit honestly and it's it puts it puts things it puts things into perspective doesn't it really yeah and it makes you realize that time's not such a linear thing like I'll be sitting in my bed working and then try and like get up and be done with working. It might be the evening time, you know what I mean? Or like I might have had a really stressful day and then looked at my watch and it's only 12 p.m. Or I might have had an amazing day and look at my watch and the whole day has gone by when it's felt like it's been one hour. Like it's definitely routine and stuff, which helps you to kind of like ground yourself and be a bit more present in that especially when everything's so monotonous and in the same space all the time. Absolutely, because that routine keeps you motivated and it keeps you on job, for me mm. anyway, 100%. <laughs> and <laughs> do you know what? We're talking about mental health, we're talking about well-being. And one thing that I really, really love is that you actually teamed up with Black Minds Matter and you created their design system and their content strategy and this podcast is in collaboration with them. So it's just so lovely that the circle has sort of been closed. Like talk, talk to me about your relationship with that organization. Yeah, like BMM are amazing, man. Like the whole team's so amazing. Like Agnes, Saskia, Liv, they're like three magical people that I've had a lot of time to work with. And like they're making something like really special. It's an honor to kind of see them grow and to like serve the community in so many beautiful ways because we all really need it. So like, yeah, big thank you to them. Um, I guess collaborating with them that came about at the height of like BLM last year. <clears throat> um, yeah, I suffer from like mad kind of like PTSD and anxiety from like a bag of trauma and, and stuff. And um, yeah, especially during the point of lockdown, like when George Floyd had um, been murdered, like I, my co-founder was like a real crutch for me and my mentor. And yeah, like George Floyd's death was so difficult. Um, at the time I was living with like some covert racists. Like, it was like really quite wild how kind of, you know, the language started to become available around our different experiences in society and how difficult it can be to be a black person living in this world. So the work that um, Black Minds Matter do is amazing. And like after George Floyd died, like me and I at that point have been like chatting like probably a few times a day, multiple times a day. And he just had this idea that we should do something around black mental health. Like, um, and I was all for it because I was here melting in my room <laughs> and, yeah, like just being the amazing like researcher he is, he found Black Minds Matter in seconds and um, we knew it had to become an institution 
that um, we wanted to play a role in kind of pushing it to be in that. And if, I was, if I'm honest, I was like melting quite a bit at the time. Um, I had advice to give and consultant to do along the work, but um, that work got done and like everyone put in a lot of hard work. Um, and we're lucky to have the team that we had that support us. Like I led that like a G. We had Johnny Isaacson, who's just like the sickest designer. Um, he built that brand like based on Google fonts so that it was accessible for everyone. Um, and Mark Gilligan, who just knows how to make things move. Like he's the waviest motion designer ever. Um, and yeah, those two are working with us on the pattern as well and other, some other design bits. Um, and they're like brothers in arms. And it was just beautiful to just know that we gave something to BMM's journey um, and that we can always be here to support in any way that we can. Like they're amazing. I love I I I just love what you said because I feel like I really relate to to um the the trauma that you felt uh during the death of jo uh, George Floyd because I feel like there's not a black person who wasn't affected in some sort of way mm. and you spoke about your co-founder IO sort of helping you out in terms of I guess his understanding of your identity and what you're going through as a black person and um that leads me on to talk about why is it so important to highlight like black mental health in particular like what is it about our experiences that need to be shared wait <laughs> maybe even start with ones like that i think yeah like there's a lot like um yeah i think my friend callum jacobs he's got a book coming out that everyone should read um, when they get the chance but he runs a zine called caricom and they focus on like the black british experience in football um, and there's just this one page in the second issue with this quote that just mashes me up every time. And it's like, you cannot forget how much they took from us and how they transfigured our bodies into sugar, tobacco, cotton and gold. Um, and it's just mad, that idea of like transfiguring bodies. And I think, yeah, like, I don't think black mental health hinges on whiteness, but like <laughs> that trauma is generational and I, there's still so much more healing to be done so much for us to like unlearn in so many ways that we can exist in the world and so much to recognize about the ways in which we have existed in the world and so much to draw from so that we can pave ways for the ways in which we will exist in the world. And so I think black mental health is so crucial because a lot of these conversations aren't being had and like, just like what happened with George Floyd and everyone posting infographics on Instagram, um, it kind of gave us a lot of language to understand things that we couldn't articulate before. And I think we just need to continue on that path and actually find a sense of solidarity as a community. Um, so I think it's really important because it's one of the things that will bring us together in a world that's like quite fractured. One thing that definitely keeps coming up in these discussions about black mental health is the idea of community and uniting and like staying together and supporting each other what does community mean to you it's interesting because i ask this question to ev everyone that like we do a project with or um everyone who applies for anything we do and i think as foundations for me community is just about shared value i think um it's really interesting because if we look at things like labels for example we love them when we ascribe them to ourselves but we hate them when others kind of force them onto us and so it's really hard to kind of define community in that sense because it's always going to be super fluid, but at its core, it's about sharing values with other people around you and finding a sense of com commonality in either your, your, your rituals through life or your practices or what you make or what you, you take part in. 
that's what community is to me. Like, um, the methods in which you live your life and the values that unite people. And how has community sort of informed your experiences and how has it affected you in your own life? Yeah, that's super interesting. I think it's, um, it's really interesting. I'm like a bit of a floater. Like I can, I have like quite a few little friend groups and I can appreciate a lot of different people for different reasons. Um, so I find community to be really joyous because it allows me to kind of see the world through a new lens with a different set of people. I think we all kind of show different sides to ourselves and find different sides in ourselves around community and different sets of communities. Um, that we should just learn to nurture generally, you know, like, especially when it comes to talking about black identity, we talk about code switching all the time. And I think it's important to maybe explore a bunch and a series of different spaces so that you can start to unify those different characteristics that you find within yourself. And so for me, community has always been a way to kind of grow and to understand more about just people in a bit more of like an anthropological way, I guess, like, um, and to support that and to nurture it and see what people's real motivations are. Like I'm obsessed with intentionality and what people's intentions are when you make stuff because if you don't have a shared value or like a shared vision, it's going to be really hard to kind of make something worthwhile or something that feels real. It doesn't feel like just another like piece of monotonous work in the water or experiences that we've seen enough of. Um, so yeah, I guess community for me is about finding newness and nuance. What about you? Me, I feel like community for me would look like, do you know what? When I first think of community, I think of support and I think of being just open-minded to people's experiences and their like ways of thinking and guidance as well I see community as a form of like guidance and I guess a space to grow as a person because when I when I think of that that you know the actual words I always think of that um, idea of like it takes a whole community to raise a child mm. do you know what I mean and it's not just like one person you have so much to learn from every single person in their lived experiences you know like right and I feel like the most powerful thing about a community is the fact that everyone is different and the fact that everyone brings something different to the table um which is which is why it takes a village to raise a child because not everyone has every I, like piece of knowledge that is going to help you grow you've got to find knowledge from different people in order to become complete or not complete or just like you know find everything that you need or find the, the learning that will help you along your journey and you're never going to find that from one person I think that's why community is so powerful because it allows you to find everything in one space in that one community and i think that's what's um that's what uh, what i feel like community is it's like um a, a space where you can learn absolutely everything about one thing because everyone is chipping in and supporting you um and i think that is what makes it so beautiful is that there's difference but the difference is respected and the difference is supported and the difference is also celebrated yeah and there's a sense of just being mutual you know and feeling seen that like you don't often get in a lot of spaces and so like it's important to try and find the spaces that do that for you absolutely and one of the things that I really liked that you were talking about um earlier on about your you know journey your creative journey when it comes to 
like even just music as well like you 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 said that you've done your own events and events for me as a dj is one way that you can very easily create a sense of community for people i know you've pl- like had some parties at the haggerston um yeah <laughs> yeah and <laughs> i i just I, I i love that because um that is one way that you can bring people together so what what was the reason behind that party um i know you had people like scooty on the lineup masterpiece you had jess josie um a chips mm. on the on, on the decks and horacio patch bay yeah like yes. yeah cam masterpiece like everyone <laughs> on that lineup was just hard like hard like they are the best out and i think do you know what it was just about like that that moment was our first birthday and it actually burns me because that moment was the last proper party i've been to like the first lockdown literally happened the monday after it and like it was insane but that party was just it's like it's like i don't know i, lo- I love errol he's, he's he has a way that he speaks and in the documentary he says that like you know that you know, it's about sharing space, rubbing shoulders, the gun fingers, the moments of just bliss and like just euphoria and that. Like, and I think for us, it was just about celebrating that we've we've been in this for a year, and we have these interests and like we work on these projects, but they don't always have to be um, heavy. And I don't think that they should be levy. Like, we should talk about heavy. We should talk about all of these conversations that we have with a sense of levity and lightness. And so music is one way to always do that and creating spaces that are music fueled is something that like i've been heavy on since i was like 16 like doing afro disco nights or just nights for like college students with my friends and like it's a beautiful feeling so it's just it's it's there for us to show that you don't always have to be like a social justice warrior just to think about the right thing and like interactive us in those spaces is also to show that you can you can wear multiple hats you can you can do things for the good of society and at the same time still bust a dirty skank in the middle of the Haggerston <laughs> like you know um absolutely right. absolutely I feel like sometimes being yourself and being authentic to who you really are can sometimes be the most powerful thing you can do and in that you are being an activist through your own self-transformation um and I I just, I feel like that's definitely something that comes across when you're speaking about your work and what you're doing and the creative spaces that you're, um, you're building for people in the community. So I wanted to touch a little bit about what it, what it was like for you as a black professional being in the creative space, because there's a conversation around representation, the lack of it, the lack of positions of power that black people are in what sort of experiences mm. did you have <laughs> this one's one of them questions where i'm like i know <laughs> like um <laughs> yeah uh i don't know just remember not to meet your idols in it <laughs> um i think for ages i wanted to answer this question in a way that like better motivated everyone to jump into jobs in like the creative industry but honestly i think it's time for us to try and make our own like yeah i i I don't know. I I did this um this talk with Create Jobs um and when I was writing up the presentation, um it was a lot about the creative industry, um and what it means to be a professional in it and like yeah, how to approach it and when I like thought about it I kind of brought it down to experience. It all comes down to experience. Um but in different forms. Like 
um, experience using different platforms and experimenting and learning how to use things that will um, define the means of like communicating with each other or making stuff. There's, I don't know, there's experiences that you kind of learn from leaders and mentors that you find along the way, which is so crucial. And then there's just this backbreaking experience of like trying to rise from the bottom with your peers, <laughs> um, which is just another mutual feeling. And um, all three of those types of experience are so crucial into developing yourself and to building your skill set. Um, but I advise that like, you know, I don't know, I think people should like exhaust themselves as much as they need to to grow and to challenge and make something different. Um, some people grow in a way that they can live the rest of their lives even by those systems. Um, but personally, I think it's important to set boundaries around yourself and your practice and to like take what you can from these spaces so that you can build something new. Um, because especially in this point, when I have so many friends who are creatives and work in one line of creativity like of photographers or writers and it's quite difficult like with publications and quite difficult to get jobs if you're in agencies with being a photographer right now and I think it's important to just learn different transferable skills that way you can kind of set your terms with the projects that you jump into um, and know that it's mutual and return to that point when you're really making something that you feel the world needs as opposed to just trying to churn out more work um, because it all kind of leads up to you kind of building that world and giving to the world in a way that represents your view of it. So I think as a black creative, it can be quite difficult because sometimes you're asked to turn up in ways that aren't you on that day. Um, yeah, I think people expect a lot from you. Um, and it's good to try and push yourself and to grow in that space, but there comes to a point where it doesn't serve you. Um, and sometimes I think your life experiences turn into a commodity. Um, so, you know, sometimes you have to like work out what the value exchange is for you. Like, are you really gaining and how long are you gaining for and how long are you, you going to have the energy to keep giving um, uh, before you can actually like stand on your own two feet sometimes? But no knocking to those guys who are in the system because, you know, there's, yeah, there's a bunch of different stakeholders. There's people who work outside and do the work of trying to build something new. There's people who are inside actually pushing for that change and advocating it too. So a big shout out to them. But me personally, I'm, I can't really do the, the inside the system thing. I really relate to what you said as well. And I think when you, when you pointed out that your life experiences are commodified, I feel like it's, it's very true. And I feel like, sometimes it's easy to lose yourself or not even just yourself or your direction especially when maybe you're working in a corporate space and I just wanted to know like how it seems like you're someone who identified that pattern early on and thought I don't want to be there and I'm going to do something for myself how did you do that was was it a case of mentorship was it a case of a role model was it a case of just your own um, observations like how did you get your, yourself it honestly comes back to that make it break it iterate it kind of thing like when I started doing events when I was 16 um, my aim was to just like make £1,700 to go to Uganda and like, at the time I was learning economics 
Um, I was doing English Lit, Maths, Economics, and I was using like little price, um, pricing like, schemes, like price elasticity of demand, to kind of work out what my price elasticity of my demand was for my tickets. And that year, I failed college, which was horrible. But um, I made like 10 grand at the age of 16 and got to go to Uganda to do this project and find out about how different people are socialized and what those communities needed. And I had the equity to be a part of that. And I think just being able to come out of the rat race of like London and um, yeah, just see something new and see how at 16 I had the talent to bring value to different people in different ways. I started to realize that it just, you just don't have to always go in this one linear path. Um, and that's just been my method always. I think that all those entrepreneurs that tell you multiple streams of income, I, I would say similarly the same thing, but not for the multiple streams of income, just for the different perspectives you can have on the world. Like I work on some freelance jobs, freelance um, where I do like co-creation with young people to build campaigns or um, like I work on strategy for a campaign that allows me to think about how a client thinks and how they're approaching a problem and to research around that. Um, but then with Play Nice, I can think about more about what a community needs or what a stakeholder within the community needs, um, which is just a bit more of a smaller world and a, a more direct world. And so having the balance of two, you kind of learn to move the um, the different things that you learn, like the transferable skills and yeah, just the learnings in general across both, I think. Um, so it's always important, I think, to just like work on multiple things and work towards what you're building for yourself. Some people want yachts. Some people want like a mad mansion in like LA or something. Like personally, I just want like a, a house with a skylight and a kitchen island and <laughs> a nice garden. Um, so like work out what it is in that world that you're trying to build um, and gain the skills that are going to help you build that and work with the people that you want to be around for, that you want around for dinner, like, um, so that you're like, yeah, focusing on the things that do serve you and serve the people around you that you care about. I hear you. It almost feels like, um, that this idea of like purpose. And I don't know if you watched the Disney film Soul. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. You did. <laughs> yeah. And it touched a lot about this idea of purpose and whether it was like redundant or not. And what, what, what is your purpose? And, do we need purposes and like what is it that gets you out of bed and like keeps you going? Mm. Something that someone once said to me is that you don't need to know what you want to do. You don't need to know how you're going to do it. You just need to know why you want to do it. Exactly. That is exactly it. Yeah. And I feel like when you were talking, that's what really struck out to me. It's like your why is very crucial because once you have a why, you have direction and it will feed into everywhere and everything that you do yeah like and that's that's the thing that's the only thing that i'd ever say to pass down to anyone like always ask yourself what your why is like what are you looking to make who are you looking to make it for who are you making it with maybe you're just making it for yourself like maybe you're making it by yourself but like there's this practice as well this research practice if you ask yourself why five times you'll find the purpose of what you're doing what your inner child wants like and then you can just kind of have fun with it and like you know play nice and with others and make something that the world needs or that you need so it's always important to start with that first I think otherwise you're just never going to be satisfied 
you're never you're always gonna want that bigger house that bigger skylight <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> it's got chill but i think do you know what as well that always changes like i think your why always changes i think everyone thinks they're so static but your identity is molding all the time and your desires change all the time with everything that you interact with you're basically the sum of everything that you touch and yeah that's very true it's very true I feel like a lot of people relate to that. I do know for for a fact that when I started and I was like, I want to be a DJ, I was like, I'm going to play drill and trap and I'm going to be a pretty girl DJ on the decks and it's going to be all mad. And as soon as I started, I was like, absolutely not. I want to play ballet funk and I want to platform weird sounds because mm. there's a lot that you just hear the same music all the time. And I just thought that we need... We need to diversify the sound that we're, we're experiencing in clubs. And that why changed. And then the why changed for so many different things in my life. And I feel like that's the beauty of it as well. Because once you grow, once you learn, that changes. And I feel like you can only do the best with what you have. And once mm. you know something, once you've learned something, then you need to apply that and you need to do better. Yeah. And I think everyone does themselves a disservice. I know we all look back and hate our past work. Like, I think everyone has that, that mutual feeling. Like, but, like, if you didn't, for example, like, go and jump into the drill thing and try and do a pretty girl with it, like, you know, like, you probably wouldn't be where you are now, if you know what I mean. So that served you for that moment, you know what I mean? Like, 100%, 100%. And I feel like if, um, if, I di if, if I didn't, you know, you, I feel like you have to start somewhere and it's not about, whether you're getting it right the first time, it's about having, you know, the confidence to sort of show up and give something a go. And that relates to everything, whether it's, you know, starting to DJ, whether it's starting to create your own cult, like creative studio, you mm. just have to have the confidence to show up and start. And then from there you start building and you learn and you look back and you're like, that was cool, but I want to do something different because now I know better. Or maybe now I know that I want to do this or this is what we need. But without starting, you wouldn't have been able to get there. And, you know, that's that's powerful because you need that confidence first to actually even attempt to do something that you feel like you need to do. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think like, as you do it, you grow and you, you build. And sometimes we end up wondering what for, like what 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 do we have some of this stuff like some of this baggage with us for and i think like it's also important to just remember to get rid of things that don't serve you like just cut it and think critically and make a plan on how to do that so that it's not like uh sticky on the other side like um there's a pear tree in my that my granddad planted in my in my garden at my family home and the fruit on it wasn't good enough to make a crumble you know like it was just a bit mad but we cut away all the diseased branches and now it crumbles every summer, you know? So like always cut away the things you don't need, I think is important as well on that journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. No bad energies, only good vibes. Come on. Come <laughs> on. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, before before we close, I just wanna wanna ask like what's next? What's next for you? What's next for Play Nice? Are you doing are you dibbling in music? Like what's going on? Yeah, like next is just, we're just trying to push more human expression, you know, everyone making space to make the things that they want to make and to be the change they want to see and whatnot. So 
Uh, I think for us, what's super exciting is that we've got radio, a radio station coming. It's going to be super exciting. Like music's my first love, and I was like truest passion. So there's that's going to be like a super exciting journey. And um, yeah, we're working with the design museum to kick off their next exhibition, which is like mad. Um, and the pattern to just democratize what we do. So who knows what we'll bring to the table, you know, and what the young people who are involved in that will bring to the table. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an exciting time because we're looking to just expand and help everyone else build their own little worlds too. That's just, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm very, very excited for Play Nice. I'm excited for your journey. And I just want to really thank you for your time um, and for joining me, joining RA Exchange in collaboration with Black Minds Matter. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, likewise. Where can people find you as well? What can we? Where can we follow you to stay up to date with what you do? Oh yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. It's Nate Abetu, N A T E A G B E T U, or just follow us on Play Nice L D N. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nate. No, thank you. It's been sick. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange. We'll have a new episode for you next week. Until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps to get our stories to more ears. Music